I'm Nora McInerney, and this is Terrible. Thanks for asking. Like, basically every child of a certain era, children who have seen The Parent Trap, either version, by the way, Haley Mills or Lindsay Lohan, or to use an even more current reference for some of our younger listeners, fans of the Olsen twins, right? I desperately wanted to be a twin when I was a kid. I thought that even possibly there was a chance that I was a twin and maybe my parents, I I don't know, for personal reasons, could only keep one of us and they kept me. I remember actually asking my dad more than once, by the way, do I have a twin that I don't know about? And his eyes would get big and he would be like, oh, God, no, Jesus, (laughs) thank God. And I think what he meant was, you're so special to me. How could there be two? of you. That's how I choose to interpret that memory. Anyway, when I meet twins, I gush about the parent trap and the Olsen twins and how much I wish I were a twin. Because I think everyone wants to be a twin. Being a twin is absolutely, in my opinion, the best thing that could happen to someone. And it happens to you right at birth. So you're starting off your life in the best possible situation. And one of the jokes that Jenny and I used to say is people would say, do you like being a twin? And we'd laugh and be like, well, we don't really know any different, right? But the truth is, like, we did know. We did know that it was really cool and really special and we had it better than anybody else. We just didn't want to make the rest of you feel bad. (laughs) That's Michelle confirming all of my insecurities, bragging, just straight up bragging to me how great it is to be a twin and definitely making me feel bad. Michelle and her twin sister Jenny are twins, and they got to do all the fun things that twins do in movies. Those things are real, okay? Like switching places in high school on the sports team field court. There would be on the bench, she'd be, you know, running plays, making all her shots, and she'd get a little winded or tired and we wanted to shake it up. So then they would take her out of the game and put me in. And so we'd confuse everybody on the court. I'd come in, they'd be like, she's not as good as she used to be. But there I would be, like, trying to play my defense up and down the court. And then they'd pop her back in the game. And yeah, hot science take from TTFA. We can confirm what the rest of us all, non-twins, have always known in our hearts and dreams. They can read each other's minds, too. We had this game called Cahoots when we were kids, which was awesome. It really was just a magic trick, but we had everybody in our lives convinced that we could read each other's minds. And so we would think of an object and then we'd say, are we in Cahoots? The other one would say, yes. And then we would guess the object. I'm not going to tell you how we did it. I'm never going to disclose the secret, but it was a solid party trick our entire life together. (laughs) I mean, it's probably true that, like, you know, any close set of siblings or, you know, really close friend, you have that sort of connection and that understanding with. But I do think it's next level when you're a twin. My mom used to say that when we were kids, she tells the story that if one of us got hurt, the other one would start crying, not the one who was actually hurt. And I can't even tell you how many times when we lived across country that, you know, we would call each other and just with that kind of eerie feeling that something was going on. Like, hey, tell me what's up. Something's not right. And we were usually spot on. We had some of those, like, just fun twin moments where we both bought the same sweater at Banana Republic. I bought one in California. She bought it in New York, like, on the same day. There definitely definitely were some very twinning moments. The two of them were so connected. They were so in sync. So, of course, Michelle feels like she should have seen it coming. 
she should have known. A great way to know anyone is to know about their relationships. Jenny's most important relationship, her longest one, was Michelle. But a tie was her husband, Pat. Pat was the kind of guy who would fly across the country to go to a high school reunion with his girlfriend and all of her friends and his girlfriend's twin sister, who he was meeting for the first time. So the first time I met Michelle was she picked me up at the airport. And she gave me a hug the first time, which, um, as a New Yorker, I'm definitely not used to. <laughs> but that's Michelle. I think that airport pickups are like, they're, they're kind of like a top tier thing to do, like, for another person, in my opinion. Like, saying that you'll pick someone up from the airport is, like, that's a big, that's a big gesture. It's a big gesture, and especially when you're meeting your wife's identical twin sister for the first time. You know, I was more, I was more nervous about that than meeting her parents. You know, if if, if Michelle didn't like me, it was that was a non-starter. I was out. But Pat made it. He was in, which was good because he really wanted things to go well. He liked Jenny from the start a lot. Pat and Jenny had met after years of almost meeting. They worked in the same industry, they had lots of friends in common, and one of those common friends, Nikki, had been telling each of them for years that they had to come meet one another. But anyone who has a friend like Nikki, a friend who's insisting that they met the perfect person for you, I mean, you know, it usually is not the perfect person. So Pat and Jenny avoided it for years. They avoided each other. They avoided meeting until they both attended Nikki's going away party. And Nikki finally got her way. You know, they say, you know, timing obviously is everything, but our timing could not have been more strained and uh, worse. I, I can remember this. We went out on a Friday night at a small little bar on Irving Place in, in uh, New York. And we had a great time, but uh, in New York, especially in the New York dating scene, 99% of the time you never see that person again. So even when you have a great time, you, you always have this in the back of your head like, well, that was it. But um, Jenny was actually infamous for misplacing her phone all the time. So I, uh, I called asking for a second date and I didn't hear from her for about six days because she had lost her phone. My father was uh, dying of cancer in, in the hospital. And I got a call on the morning of the date that my sisters and I needed to get to the hospital immediately, that he was not going to last for more than a couple of hours. And so uh, we needed to go and say our goodbyes at that point. You know, this is first thing in the morning. I jump in a cab, and I lived in Brooklyn at the time, and I'm going over the Brooklyn Bridge. And I called Jenny, and I, you know, I have to explain to this woman who I barely know um, that, hey, I, I have to cancel our date tonight because my father's going to die today, and, you know, I'm sorry. And when I 
you know, when I hung up the phone, I left her a voicemail. When I hung up the phone, I, I said to myself, well, you'll never, ever hear from this woman again. But there were bigger things to think about at the moment. Pat's father died, and the grieving process began. And then the phone did ring. It's Jenny, and she says to me that, um, you know, hey, I'm, I'm craving this specific kind of hamburger that they make at the restaurant next to your office. And I'm going to be there tonight at 6 o'clock, and if you would like to join me, that would be great. Um, you can talk all you want. You could tell me anything about, you know, what happened, or you could say nothing and just, if you want company, whatever you want, I'll be there with a burger and, uh, it would be great to see you. I guess you could call that a second date. We ended up staying at that burger place for about four hours. First of all, it was the kindest thing that anyone's ever done for me. And it completely changed the feeling of that year, what what really, you know, could have been a pretty horrible year, just 180. So, it, you know, from that moment on, um, I knew that I'd met somebody pretty special. Jenny and Pat got married 17 months later. She was the love of Pat's life and the love of Michelle's, too. My dad said at both of our weddings, when you're marrying a twin, you're marrying 49% of the other twin. And it's totally true. <laughs> so both Pat and my husband have always been gracious, understanding that they got like a duo, like a package deal in marrying one of us. Jenny and Michelle were a package deal with a couple thousand miles in between them. Michelle and her family live in California and Pat and Jenny were diehard New Yorkers. But it was still a no-brainer that Michelle would fly across the country for the birth of Jenny's first child, even if Michelle and her family were about to move out of the house they'd lived in for eight years. So here's the thing with twin telepathy, right? So she, we could look intrinsically at the scientific data. You know, I gave birth early for both of my kids. Um, and I had a certain kind of delivery and that kind of thing. So, of course, we would make the deduction, okay, she's probably going to go into you know, labor a little bit early. Um, she's probably going to feel this way. It's gonna, this is how it's going to go down. So we plot and planned, you know, the way that we thought it would happen. And so we decided I should definitely go out about a week before her due date, just in case. Michelle and their parents flew out a week before the due date and spent that time in New York City with Jenny and Pat doing all their favorite things. And so it was really awesome to be there just watching, like, reruns of Sister Wives and Law and Order. <laughs> and the classics. Going for short walks. The classics. We really watched highbrow TV together. <laughs> <laughs> and giving her little back rubs and foot rubs and going out to, you know, quick dinners and that kind of thing. And watching her take naps a lot. All of that. So it was, it was really special time with her. It was a really special time, except that Teddy, Jenny and Pat's baby, refused to be born. The countdown to Michelle's departure approached and still, no Teddy. Michelle had already extended her trip once and had been there 10 days, and this just was not the plan. My plan was to fly out, be in New York, and stay there until the 29th. And then I'd be back just in time for the move, which was really important, right? Like, I couldn't leave my husband and my kids to do that solo. 
Michelle was anguished, but she has to fly back home and help her family move. And as soon as she's all packed up, Jenny goes into labor. Of course, right? It's happening. She's finally going to meet Teddy. Michelle changed her flight and prepared to become an aunt. Except, of course not. Jenny was in labor, but not dilated. And after 20 hours of just sitting around in the hospital, Jenny looked at her twin sister and said, Get out of here. Go home. I've got my husband. I've got our mom. I've got this. Go. Move into your new house and come out for our birthday next week. You can spend the whole time holding Teddy. So I kissed her and I said, okay, like, I'm going to see you in five days. I'm going to be holding Teddy real soon. So Michelle went, she grabbed her bag, hailed a cab and hustled out to the airport back towards her husband and her kids. I was riding high. I mean, it was like I didn't even need an airplane to fly me back. I was just... I was on cloud nine, literally, thinking about when I land, I'm probably going to be an aunt. I'm moving to my dream house. Like, life is about as perfect as I could imagine it. I mean, it really, it really was. I mean, here I knew that Jenny was going to be a mom with this awesome husband. She was about to start this journey of motherhood, which was going to be so incredible because I knew how amazing it was. And um, the plane landed. I immediately turned my phone on, and it was awesome. There was a text from Jenny. Shell, I did it. Only 26 minutes of pushing. Teddy's here. So it was just, it was the perfect text message. I was just laughing. So I'm like, of course that's Jenny, right? For context, you should know that Jenny was a little competitive, and Michelle took 28 minutes pushing out her youngest child. So Jenny won. Then there was like follow-up texts from my mom and Pat and pictures of all of them. And it was awesome. I'm just bawling tears of joy. I'm so excited. I'm still on the plane. I'm just waiting to like, you know, deboard the plane so I can call them all. I immediately call my mom. No answer. Call Jenny. No answer. Call Pat. No answer. So kept calling. (laughs) Jenny. No answer. Mom. No answer. Like, come on, guys. Like, I need details here, right? And then I get a call from my husband, and he says, Hey, Shell, um, I'm just pulling into the airport. I'm going to meet you. I'm going to meet you here. And I'm like, Oh my God, how cool are you? Like, you took the day off. Like, you're so pumped about our house. You're going to come pick me up. Like, I'm like, Awesome. So I'm waiting for my bag. I know he's out there. I'm just like riding high. And then my phone rings, and uh, it was my mom. And all she said was, uh, Go find Eamon. You're booked on the next flight back. Something's really wrong. I said, I don't understand. And she said, "Um, there's been a major incident with Jenny. And I said, is she live? And she said, for now, but you need to get back. And I just remember, like, absolutely collapsing on the floor. Also, my phone was dying because, of course, you know how moms are. My mom had, like, accidentally stolen my phone charger overnight in the hospital. And so... I was, like, out of juice almost entirely. And so I just remember screaming in the baggage claim, like, I need a phone charger. Someone give me a phone charger. Some amazing man comes over and gives me a hug and hands me one of those, like, portable ones. So I plug in. I get my bag. I go out, and Eamon's waiting for me. And I'm I'm absolutely beside myself. And I'm like, what has happened? What is going on? And he said, Shell, I just don't have that many details. I know that Jenny collapsed. I know that she's not okay. 
and I just got you on the flight back of the plane you got off of. And he said, you have to stay calm. You have to move fast so you don't miss your flight. And so we took my bag because I didn't want to have to recheck my bag. So I just remember bawling and taking my bag and dumping it out on the airport floor. I just grabbed like two or three things. I threw it like in a duffel and I took off running. Michelle got back on the plane that had just taken her to California, but she was not riding high this time. She took her middle seat and tried to keep her shit together, thinking, I don't know, maybe a movie would help the time pass faster. She put on Forrest Gump, which should get her through about half the flight. But remember that movie? Remember one of the main characters and what her name is? Every time Forrest says Jenny. We was always together. Jenny, 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 Jenny. I'm just bawling and bawling over again. I'm just saying prayers, and I'm like, just, I don't even know how I made it that five and a half hours. I just sat straight ahead. I did not move a muscle. How could this, whatever this is, how could this have happened? How could she not know? Why had her twin tuition failed? Why had it let her leave her sister's side and fly all the way across the country? When the plane finally landed in New York, Michelle had been on airplanes and in cabs and airports for about 13 hours. She was back in Jenny's city, but still miles away from her. Michelle still had that kind man's phone charger, and when the plane landed, she made one call to her mother. And she said, you're not too late. Um, Just get here. The taxi ride back to Jenny's hospital room was silent. Michelle didn't call her family. She didn't text. She just needed to get to her Jenny. And when she walked back into that hospital room, that twin telepathy kicked back in. And she was in a coma. And the second I saw her, I knew she was gone. Um, she had had a pulmonary embolism. Um, and they spend a lot of time trying to resuscitate her, and uh, she was brain dead. She was brain dead. At that moment, we didn't know that. We still had the hope that maybe she could come out of this. Um, but I knew the second I saw her. I knew. Um, yeah. We'll be right back. We're back. 
Michelle and Jenny were surprise twins. Their parents knew they were having a baby, obviously, but the only baby they knew about was Jenny. It was Jenny's heartbeat they heard, and Jenny they planned to give birth to. They even had the name picked out, Jennifer Michelle. And then Jenny was born. She was four pounds. We were really premature. Four pounds. She gets whisked away. They see something else in there. And at first they thought I was actually a tumor. Um, which cut to like 10 years later. Remember that Arnold Schwarzenegger movie? Like, <laughs> I'm not a tumor. <laughs> that movie, by the way, um, if you're not a film aficionado, that movie's Kindergarten Cop. Michelle was the baby nobody expected. They didn't have a crib for her. They didn't have a name for her. But yeah, they split Jenny's name. I took her other half, and off we went in the world together. And it sounds really cheesy, but I really, you know, and who knows, because I can't remember that far back. But my gut and my, like, twin intuition tells me that I had the will to survive because I didn't want to leave Jenny. Like, I wonder if there had been no Jenny if I would have made it. Um, We were meant to be together from, like, the very beginning. She was my life partner. She was my life partner before I had my my awesome husband and my kids. You know, and I mean, I love everybody in my family, but I loved her the most. I love her the most. Um, We're meant to be together. And it's sad for me now. Like, now when I go get my coffee and I see those twins in the corner... I want to go tell them, like, hug each other, appreciate each other. One of you is going to die first. (laughs) (laughs) When a person dies, so many versions of them are lost. When Jenny died on February 1st, both Pat and Michelle lost their soulmate. Michelle lost the person she'd known and loved for her entire life. Pat lost the person he was planning to spend the rest of his life with. And Teddy had lost his mother. There was a stunned, widowed dad, a twinless twin, two bereaved parents, and a brand new baby. So now what? And I think I remember, I think maybe Eamon has pulled him aside and said, just so you know, man, if you want to do this, like, I'm all in. I remember my brother-in-law, Eamon, uh, Michelle's, Michelle's husband, kind of pulled me into a private room in the hospital and you know, said, hey, we'd love to have you guys, you know, come out to, to California and, uh, and be with us and, you know, we'll help. And... and so then Pat said he wanted to come to California and he wanted to come immediately. And um, that's how fast it happened. Just a few days later, on Michelle and Jenny's birthday, Teddy was too young to fly commercial, so a medical flight brought them from New York City to California. It was raining. I remember that. We landed at Oakland Airport in a rainstorm. And um, Jenny and Michelle's aunt and uncle uh, were there. You know, we we had piled this private plane full of kid stuff. We had a 
<laughs> we had a stroller and we had a bassinet and we had all kinds of just random stuff that we filled. So, you know, they show up with, with two cars and, um, and we just fill it all with, with Teddy stuff. And, and uh, from there it was um, about a half hour drive to Michelle's. And I remember her opening the door and, and you know, somehow having a, a, a huge smile on her face. I hardly remember that time, but the truth is, I think I really did feel as joyful as I possibly could have in that moment because they were there. And that's the only thing I could have hoped for and wanted in lieu of not having Jenny, which at that point we didn't have a choice. So I don't want to call it the next best thing, but really this was the very best outcome for them to come be with us. I remember thinking to myself when we walked in the door um, how joyful Michelle looked legitimately joyful on a day that should have been the farthest thing from joyful for her. And I remember feeling like I had just done something smart. And I remember being in, you know, just complete. I look back on it now and it's just shock. We'll be right back. We're back. Back into the second best scenario possible. Pat and Teddy arrived in California on Jenny and Michelle's 38th birthday, but without Jenny. The little boy who was supposed to be raised in New York City is now officially a California boy. Pat and Teddy are moving into the new house that Michelle's family just moved into. And all of them, Michelle's family of four, Pat and Teddy, and Jenny and Michelle's parents, form a team. They make space for each other in their sudden new situation. They handle the million billion pieces of paperwork that come from the death of a loved one. They plan two funerals, one in California and one in New York. And while they're back in New York a few weeks after Jenny's death, there's one more thing to do. When I came back to the apartment, because when we left, we sort of left in a bit of a rush. And I just wanted one more day that it felt like our place, you know, that, um, that that door could open at any minute and it would be, it would be Jenny and Teddy. That apartment where Jenny had lived for 14 years was just as they had left it, in the same state as it was before she left for the hospital when their only expectations were to come home with their baby Teddy. This is the apartment that she and Pat shared. One of the things that um, 
that you realize about Jenny is her her love of and affinity for color. And I mean, I was I was a single bachelor guy who just lived in white apartments before I met Jenny. And when I when I met her, I learned the value of color. And you know, her apartment um, was just it was just a rainbow. We changed the place because Jenny wanted it to feel as much my home as it was her home. First, she made room for me, and then um, we made room for Teddy. One of the things that you know crushes me about this is that the three of us were never together in that apartment, and I just, I just wanted you know our home to feel like our home, even in you know on that fantasy level for for one more time, and then. You just start dividing, going through somebody's stuff. You know your sister. You know your wife. You can recall the conversations you had about the future, about how you wanted to raise your family, about the kind of kids you wanted to create. You can read their will. You can search through all of their belongings. You actually have to. Michelle was there. Mike, her dad, was there, and Amy, uh, one of Jenny's closest friends, were there. And they, piece by piece, we went through the stuff. And, you know, they took stuff that they wanted to keep. I did the same. They sifted through those things, the things of Jenny's past, the things of her life. Not only somebody's life, but the, the life that they're planning on leading. Pat did it like Jenny would have wanted it done. He donated all her fancy work clothes. He saved the best things for Teddy. I wanted to surround him in his mother's photography and his mother's favorite artwork and, um, you know, little pieces of uh, just stuff. And what do I keep for Teddy? You know, I'm trying to make decisions not in the best frame of mind for my son for like 16 years from now, you know? What pieces of paper that have scribbles and doodles on them are important versus ones I can just throw out? Uh, Because you just want to save everything, you know, like your computer cords. Jenny saved every phone that she'd ever had. So we, (laughs) we discovered a box of old Blackberries and original iPhones and flip phones and, you know, even the cords and the instructions, wow. You know, what do you do with a half-used tube of lipstick? Um, You know, what do I do with the bandages that Jenny bought for the week or two after she would, you know, was supposed to come home from the hospital? You know, what do you do with, you know, the salt and pepper shaker? I mean, just everything has symbolism to it. Even in moments like that, we were thinking, what would Jenny want? After going through her Gmail, we shut the account down. And after transferring things off of her phone, we shut the phone down. And it just gets to a point where after you have divided everything into their categories and given away what you wanted to give away and kept what you thought to keep, you just start putting somebody's life in black garbage bags.
Pat dismantled the life that they had been living, the life they planned to live, and he took down the crib they'd set up. But the stuff is just stuff. There are no more answers. There's no more to discover about this person you loved, not for Pat, not for Michelle. For Michelle, there'll be no more realizing that the two of you bought the same sweater on the same day. There will be no more moments of twin telepathy. All those moments you were planning to have as sisters just poof, disappear, right? I was going through a box, and she had had the foresight to buy me a birthday present and a card, and it was there waiting for me. Um, So I saw it was for me, and my heart dropped um, because it was clear that she had intended it for me before I had left New York after Teddy had had arrived. And I opened it. It was a necklace. And it's actually kind of funny because the necklace itself is one of the uglier presents she's ever given me. (laughs) I have to say, if she had been there, I probably would have given her just a little bit of crap for it. (laughs) Um, I think maybe in her pregnancy mode, she didn't have a lot of time to look for just the right gift but it just made me laugh because I wanted to tell her you know that I'd give it back to her to wear um and I still have but I have the necklace in the in this little round container box that she gave me and it's sitting on my bedside table and I have it there but the most ironic thing is that in her card to me and I'll never forget it she said you know dear shell happy anniversary Um, You know, here's just a little something for you. But this year, your real present is time with Teddy and as much as you want with it. We're so glad to have you. And um, it sounds ominous now, right? Because I have as much time with Teddy as I could have ever dreamed of. And I love it. But, you know, who could have known? For all the hypothetical conversations you have about what you want your life to be and what you'd want if you died, you're never thinking that those two realities are going to intersect so abruptly. That your life will end when your child is born. There's no planning for the minutiae of raising a child. For what should happen when he gets a splinter. Or if he refuses to go to school unless you allow him to wear a plush snake tied around his neck like a professional wrestler, which you are personally fine with but doesn't work within his school's dress code. There's no laying out of what should happen when the unthinkable happens. There's only doing your best with what you've been given, what you've left in the wake of a loss this big. There's only tuning in to that intuition into that ever-running TV channel in the background and turning it up as best you can. What I remember about the early stages of raising a baby is chaos and fog, just an endless cycle of diapers and crying and feeding and sleeping. And that was a cycle that Pat was planning to go through with Jenny and that Michelle was planning to support as a long-distance aunt who swoops in for long visits of cuddling and spoiling. Instead, Michelle quit all her contract clients and spent the first year of Teddy's life as a stay-at-home aunt, 
Pat took a two-month bereavement period and was able to keep his job with his New York City agency but work from California. Michelle's kids for a while got a live-in baby cousin. And Michelle and Pat got each other. I mean, yeah, early on, we go to the doctor's appointments together, Pat, Teddy, and me. Um, We went and checked out daycares together. Pat and Teddy eventually moved into their own apartment, less than a mile from Michelle and her husband, Eamon, less than two miles from Jenny and Michelle's parents. You know, from from just a pure physical space, you know, here we are, two guys living with each other, uh, 46 years apart, but we live in a rainbow. You know, I I keep our apartment as colorful as I possibly can. And he and Michelle are still in this together, but they're also in this on their own. It's kind of the thing about grief is when you're grieving two versions of the same person, there's a loneliness to that. Because only Pat misses Jenny, the wife, And only Michelle misses Jenny, the twin. And that's what makes them a very different unit. In high school, Michelle and Jenny could pull a switcheroo on the basketball court or on the phone... They could pull it off for a few minutes, at least, and then go back to being themselves. To being complementary forces that are made of the same stuff. What does Teddy call you? Oh, it's a tough one. Right now, it's Mama. But he calls a lot of things and people Mama. So it's not used exclusively for me, but he does hear my kids call me Mama and Mom. That makes sense. Jenny and Michelle have identical faces and voices. When Pat shows Teddy photos of Jenny, they look just like the woman who wipes his butt and sometimes tucks him into bed. But when he sees videos of Jenny... He just snaps into attention. There is something else going on there that um, he must understand on some cellular subconscious level. That, uh, that he's looking at his mother. Teddy knows. He doesn't know what it all means, but he knows. And of course, he'll know more as he gets older, and it will be sad for him. And it will also be the only life he knows. Nothing's clean. You know, nothing is, nothing is clean in any of this. The good things are interconnected to to a lot of difficult memories. But I, you know, I'm just fascinated by the ways that um, every day I see her in him. To me, he is Jenny, and and he's the essence of her. I'm bonded to him like a mother would be, because I've been with him since day one. But I'm his aunt. Like, I am no replacement for her. There is no replacement for Jenny. Because she's not just gone for the big days. Teddy's birthday, Michelle and Jenny's birthday, Christmas. She's gone for the little things. Things like Real Housewives of Orange County. You watch the episode, I'm like, dude, I got a download with her. Like, we got now we got to go back and forth about the outfits and 
yes. all that silly stuff. And so I had shared that with my dad like early on, like just how much I missed like the daily interactions. And he had said to me like, well, what were your daily interactions? And then when I really thought about it, I was a little bit embarrassed because it really was like, how much bacon did you eat this morning? <laughs> and like, <laughs> what new hair product did you try? And like, what happened on The Real Housewives, right? And so my sweet, sweet dad started watching so much reality TV. And then he would start texting me like, oh, did you see Kim on the Keeping Up with the Kardashians? <laughs> <laughs> and just, but you know, he's a dad. First of all, he's watching the wrong shows. Like, I'm yeah. like, no, I don't no. watch the Kardashians. That's it's, not it, dad. No, no, no. You know, but he was, he was like, he's like, I don't know, this channel like, is very confusing. It's, he was it's a lot. watching all the e-shows. He was on people.com, like just trying to feed me like nuggets of pop culture. So I could keep having the conversations, which was so sweet. And I really, really appreciate it. You know, but sorry, Dad, it's just not the same. It's just not the same. Um, but a really nice intention. It's just not it's not ever going to be the same. And I guess that's my point is that you're you not, never move on. I do believe in moving forward. It's what we have to do. We have to do it, especially for Teddy, for my kids and for the fact that I do have a very happy, full life. I mean, I do. Um, it's never going to be the same way it was. It's never going to be as happy as it should have or could have been. Um, but I know I have a lot to be grateful for and a lot to look forward to. Um, and so I try to focus on that. But it's just not going to be the same without her. I'll never be the same. Like, half of me is gone. It's just gone. It's just gone. And people sometimes do say things like, oh, how lucky that you have Teddy. And people do say things to Pat like, oh, how lucky that you have Michelle and she looks just like Jenny. And yes, they're all lucky to have each other. But also... This isn't the plan. It's the best they can do in a situation that is so singular. Truly, if there's anyone else in this exact situation, please make yourself known. It's all so hard and so lonely and so new. It's so foreign. Nobody has done this before. There's no group that can support them. There's no group that says, oh, my wife died after giving birth and now I live near her identical twin and her husband, and her family. It's all foreign. And again, it's so new, all of it, because Teddy is still so little. And Jenny's death was traumatic. When we talk, it hasn't even been two years. I think about Jenny every second of the day. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like a, a TV that's on the same program, and it's playing all day long. So um, it's really hard to think farther down the road. I'm two years seems like a second and it seems like a million years ago. Two years is a lot of time when you think about a life starting and no time it's nothing when you're talking about a life ending. For Pat and Michelle and her parents, Teddy is the center of their universe. Jenny is the invisible gravity holding them all together. They're doing their best to raise Teddy in Jenny's spirit. I call them promises to Jenny. That is a, a promise that, I, that I've made to her that, you know, her son will absolutely be bilingual. And, 
you know, every night, um, you know, when we're getting ready for bed and we say our goodbyes and our good nights, I have a wall of uh, a few pictures of, of Jenny on it, and we go over and we, <clears throat> you know, we say good night to Mama, and uh, you know, as we as we go along, I just. I want her to be a living presence in his life. She is far too valuable and too important uh, a human being that he'll never know, but I want him to have a connection with her. The question always is, what would Jenny want? Um, I grew up Christian and Catholic, so there's the WWJD, what would Jesus do, <laughs> that we all grew up with. But for me, it feels like, what would Jenny do? What would Jenny do? It's kind of an impossible question to answer, but the only two people who are qualified to try to answer it are in this together. After we talked, I kept thinking back to Jenny and Michelle and their relationship and then how Pat fit into their relationship, how he respected their twinness, the way Michelle's husband, Eamon, did, how Michelle helped Pat pick out Jenny's engagement ring, how Pat asked Michelle for Jenny's hand in marriage, how Pat and Michelle met at the airport on their way to a high school reunion and clicked. How Michelle, when she was cleaning out her twin sister's apartment, found a birthday gift that Jenny had bought for her before she died, already wrapped. How when Michelle was trying to conceive, Jenny told her that she would 100% have a baby for her if it ever came to that. How Jenny was always a step ahead of what everyone knew they needed. How she and Michelle, even when they weren't playing mind games with people, were always in cahoots. I kept thinking about that connection that Jenny and Michelle shared and where it goes now. About how connected so many of us feel to the people we've lost wherever we believe they go when they die. And how that twin telepathy that Michelle and Jenny shared probably doesn't go away completely. And I kept thinking about Teddy, this living, breathing connection to Jenny who has his mom's laugh and smile and her love of books, about how Michelle is not a replacement for Jenny and neither is Teddy and neither is Pat. But the three of them, in their own little way, are all doing their best for one another and with one another, just like Jenny would have done. I'm Nora McNerney, and this has been terrible. Thanks for asking. I got a book recommendation that I might have shared already, but I'm very into. It is called Anxiety, the Missing Stage of Grief. So if you are grieving a person or you um, know somebody who is and you're just like trying to understand it more, it's written by Claire Bidwell-Smith, and she is a licensed 
maybe not a therapist, but she's a grief counselor. I don't really know what the difference is, but it's a good read. Hans, what's your middle name? Hans Bill Buto is our senior producer. He's not going to tell me his middle name. That's fine. Marcel Malikibu is our assistant producer. Hannah Meekock-Ross is the producer of our lives. Anna Weggel, uh, got help from Anna Weggel on production and drums. Um, great hair. Just great new hair. Has a great new hairstyle. Joffrey Wilson made our theme music, and we are a production of APM American Public Media. 